It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. All right, this is just insane. It's going to be 70 degrees today here in Washington in January. Now, that in itself is pretty bizarre. But beyond that, I mean, it was just a little over a week ago that we had this huge cold snap, freezing every day, two snowstorms within a couple of days of each other. Everybody's driving on the ice and scraping off their cars. And now it's springtime. I have no logical explanation for this. But I do hope you have some good weekend plans coming up since this is the Friday edition. And, you know, when I say, oh, you know, working on Media Buzz, it's not something I just say every week. We got a couple of segments open and several topics competing, and I'm trying to figure out how the hell we're going to do it. Another way of saying that is how the hell do we fit everything? Because, you know, you got so much time. You got to hit so many commercial breaks. Not like here. I can talk all day, you know. (laughs) Okay. I'm really disturbed about this Taylor Swift news, serious stuff here. There's a Seattle guy who has been caught twice in three days lurking outside her apartment. Arrested again. So his name is David Crow, and he had been taken into custody for stalking Taylor Swift. There's no other way to put it. And as soon as he gets out of the court, he goes back there near her home in Tribeca, which is in lower Manhattan, and prosecutors say this guy... This, uh, the New York Post describes him as a creepy lurker, had staked out Taylor Swift's apartment 30 times in the past two months. A neighbor said that uh, he just sat down on a loading dock, few doors down from Taylor's place, and that they were terrified when he came back, and then he was arrested again. So how many times... Does he have to do this before they lock him up? I mean, imagine that. I I don't want to imagine that something bad happens. But imagine trying to defend that, though. I mean, seriously. I, I don't get it. Once or twice, I get it. Why is this man not behind bars? And Taylor obviously needs tighter security. On a somewhat happier note, the Kansas City Chiefs are playing the Baltimore Ravens this weekend. Winner goes to the Super Bowl. And now they're starting to be pieces like, how dare this Baltimore team get in the way of a Taylor Swift Super Bowl? I mean, ratings for the Super Bowl are always sky high, and people like to watch the commercials and so forth, but... Two good teams. Kansas City on a roll. Um, You know, I just want to talk a little bit more about these massive layoffs at the L.A. Times. Here's a piece in The Wrap. 
saying the billionaire owner, Patrick Sunshang, as I've told you, cut more than 20% of the newsroom. And this includes just completely, you know, gutting the Washington Bureau. In addition to, and I've mentioned the business editor, the music editor, um, some sports writers who cover the Angels, the Dodgers, and the Clippers. Ah, you know, who needs a reporter covering the hometown teams? The books editor, Pulitzer Prize winner, Sarah Parvini. Really? They couldn't hold on to her? It just goes on and on and on. And a new initiative called DeLos, as in Los Angeles, aimed at the Latino population, which is about 49% of the city of L.A., was effectively dismantled, according to this piece. Place is in absolute turmoil. Now, I've seen uh, some black and Latino people saying, well, you know, because it's a, it's a last hired, get laid off first compared to the people who've been there a longer period of time. Now, you can't do this. We're minorities. And I'm saying, sorry, you know, the place is running out of money. I want to get to that in a second. But if you do look at it, in terms of the way in which people were hired and the rules that you have to follow, the Latino caucus, meaning people who work there who are Latino, losing 38% of its members, the black caucus losing 33% of its members. Well, I mean, they have a reason to feel singled out. They're not being singled out because they're minorities, but a lot of them were hired more recent or in more recent years. This is a crisis, says the uh, president of the News Guild. Every journalist we lose is another step toward losing our democracy. Without them, we lose the critical coverage our communities deserve. City council meetings, school boards, halls of Congress. All true. But now I also read that Patrick Soon-Shong has been losing money in his other businesses not just the Los Angeles Times. So whether or not he wanted to make these cuts or not, he, his deep pockets may no longer be quite so deep as to uh, avoid them. But what a shame. Peter Navarro, Donald Trump's former trade advisor, who was also involved in trying to keep Trump in office after the 2020 election, sentenced to four months in prison yesterday were defying a subpoena from the House January 6th committee. See, it's okay to defy a subpoena if the Democrats are the ones issuing the subpoena. But if it's the Republicans, well, you know what? Hunter Biden is not is no longer going to defy the subpoena. He's going to show up and give a deposition. And so The judge in this case said, and of course it's going to be appealed, the words executive privilege are not magical incantations. It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. And the judge went off on uh, Navarro's lawyers saying that he defied the subpoena even as other Trump aides were negotiating uh, ways to comply. 
Judge saying, I have a great deal of respect for your client and what he's achieved professionally. I do, which makes it all the more disappointing the way he behaved. There will also be a $9,500 fine. He will stay out of jail for now. Um, And Navarro said, look, I'm not expecting or hoping for a pardon if Trump uh, is back in the White House. He was an outspoken critic of China, Harvard-trained economist. And he and Steve Bannon have both uh, been prosecuted, where a lot of other people weren't. All right, I want to get to story number one. And I think it's the hottest story right now. And it's also, on the one hand, you know, it's a congressional infighting story. But don't touch that dial. Because it's really important. Because it involves the border. And it not only involves the border, it involves... Military aid for Ukraine, which is struggling during this cold winter to just keep its troops alive against the brutal Russian invasion. Aid to Israel, which seems to be in good shape militarily, but clearly is going to need more ammunition and so forth that ordinarily Congress would immediately pass, except the borders being held hostage. Now, here's CNN's Jake Tapper on his show yesterday. Would Donald Trump rather see the border crisis fixed or would he rather campaign on it? Why don't you take a guess? So as the Washington Post puts it, this bipartisan border deal, and you know, my eyes glaze over too when you keep day after day after day. Well, senators say they're getting closer. Well, what do you mean they're getting closer? Why can't they resolve this? And by the way, this was triggered in a way by Mitch McConnell, the Senate GOP leader, who wants, who deeply believes in aid to Ukraine, unlike some in his party, making a public statement that maybe it just can't get done, that it's gotten too complicated. And the reason, though he didn't sort of outright name him, is Donald Trump. Donald Trump has said privately to people and is now saying it publicly. Don't make a deal on the border. Wait until I get back in office and I'll fix everything. So I touched on this yesterday. Sometimes bad news. I mean, the border is chaos. It's completely open. It's the fault of the Biden administration. It might be Joe Biden's second biggest liability after his age. And I don't understand why he has not been able to send in troops or force uh, those seeking asylum to remain in Mexico or any of these things. Because, you know, even though some of them may resemble the Trump policies, I mean, it is just I wouldn't use the words that Donald Trump uses like an invasion and so forth, but I can see where a lot of Americans feel, including Democrats, including the mayor of New York City and other Democrats, now that they have been feeling some of the brunt of migrants coming from the South. This is just a failure on the part of the Biden administration. So McConnell widely reported to have told his troops that the politics are tough, according to two people familiar with those remarks. After a significant number of Republican senators 
as uh, this Post story says, backed up by right-wing media, have increasingly vocalized their opposition to a border security deal before the details have even been released. And so media liberals and Democrats are going nuts over this because apparently the Biden administration has made a lot of concessions that if you took Biden out of it and you took Trump out of it and you just said, Republicans, do you want this deal? This, this is what they have wanted for years, in some ways for generations. And of course, they don't like the idea or Speaker Mike Johnson doesn't like the idea of tying it to military aid because he's very lukewarm on Ukraine aid or so he says, or he wants to do it separately, which means obviously the Democrats lose all leverage. So here's a piece in Politico. McConnell has spent the last few months singularly focused on getting billions of new dollars to Ukraine. So normally such a pledge, meaning that we're going to do this, would not be earth-shaking. Yet some Republicans woke up yesterday morning wondering if their bid to link stricter immigration policy to foreign aid was still viable after McConnell delivered a candid assessment of the challenges posed by not just that Donald Trump is the likely nominee, but just the way he has dominated so far in the presidential primary. So McConnell has no working relationship with Trump. They broke after January 6th. Trump's getting all these endorsements. He's consulting with Mike Johnson. And yet this was a tough sell anyway, because many of McConnell's own members are critics of giving more U.S. military aid to Ukraine. Mitt Romney, who voted to convict Donald Trump in the second impeachment and is now not running for the election, called this whole thing appalling. Well, here's um, the lead Republican negotiator, Senator Jim Lankford, saying, quoted in the Post story, there are some people that oppose the bill based on the presidential politics issue rather than the crisis that's actually occurring at the border. And so it is the classic question. Do you want the issue or do you want to resolve the problem? And so when Donald Trump says he wants a perfect deal, well, there are no perfect deals in Washington, to quote myself from yesterday. And some of these media liberals are saying they would rather have fentanyl coming across the border. They would rather have continued surges in illegal migrants ending up certainly in Texas and other border states, but also ending up in Democratic-run states, as long as they can have the issue. And how is this even conscionable? Now, of course, the politics are tricky, but I mean, among other things, the Biden administration has agreed to some extent, and again, there's no question who has the political blame here. But that can shift if they suddenly look like they were going to make a deal. Now, they're not going to make a deal because of Donald Trump. And I understand Trump's point of view. I mean, both parties play this game. We're going to hold up this aid. We're going to hold up this bill so that we can campaign on it. But this is a particularly, you know, it's a humanitarian crisis. It's just a mess. That would be the technical term. It is a bleeping mess. So, Change of the president's use of parole for migrants, something the administration really didn't want to do, but is now at least willing to compromise on to some extent. Uh, A mechanism to effectively close the border on days when crossings just 
surge to particularly high numbers, making it harder for migrants to seek asylum. I mean, this would be a win for everybody. And the House Republicans could show that they can be part of a governing coalition. And the Biden administration can show that it can work with Republicans. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Precise, personal, powerful. It's America's weather team in the palm of your hands. Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Now that I've got myself a little bit worked up, let's go to story number two. So good economic news yesterday, no question about it. 3.3% growth in GDP. The economy is still expanding. And at the same time, inflation is not spiraling out of control. So all the geniuses... And this is not limited to one party, but who uh, I think you had more of it from the Republicans, again, just for political reasons. But some Democrats, too, or some, you know, economists and bankers who identify with the Democratic Party said, we're heading for a recession. There's going to be a recession. The only question is, you know, how deep it's going to be. Well, we seem to be sliding on that. It could always change. So now, as you would expect, Joe Biden's top advisors are trying to highlight the economy's strength. This new messaging effort reflects a renewed confidence among Biden's brain trust, this says the Washington Post. After the administration was hammered for more than two years over high inflation and predictions of a imminent recession yesterday, the Bureau of Economic Analysis reporting that the economy grew by 2.5% over the entire course of last year, including 3.3% annual rate in the most recent quarter. Here's Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen telling reporters, my expectation, in spite of the fact that there are always risks, the economy is doing very, very well. And interestingly, Larry Kudlow, who is now on Fox Business but was Donald Trump's uh, not the first one, but certainly his you know, top economic advisor in the White House, was asked about these numbers, and Kudlow said, look, these are really good numbers. And if I were Biden, I'd be making a big deal out of it too. Honest answer. It's been the fairest recovery on record, says Yellen. The recovery we've had meant that we avoided financial pain for most middle-class families, obviously not all, and obviously there's still economic uncertainty. But wages up, wealth up, employment up, stock market, record-breaking levels. You know, everybody went into this election year figuring that the economy, even if it was just sluggish, was going to be an albatross around President Biden's neck, because people mostly remember the booming economy of the Trump years, except what happened in 2020, which was this horrible pandemic. And you can't blame that on President Trump. You can take issue with his handling of it absolutely positively. I happen to think that's the reason he lost the election. But I'm just trying to point out that any president during the height of the pandemic would have had a hard time. You know, I mean, lots of people lost their jobs, at least temporarily. 
So a little bit more uh, optimism from the Biden camp. Story three, you know, there's a, the RNC, Republican National Committee, was actively considering a resolution to say, Iowa and New Hampshire, eh, that's enough. We're going to recognize Donald Trump as the nominee. Basically, the hell with the other states. So now we have Trump saying, no, 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 I'm opposed to this with Nikki Haley still in the race. Now, it's not just a symbolic thing if the RNC says we consider Donald Trump to be our nominee, because once you have that, and if the Republican National Committee approves it, and it had to go, you know, has to go out to all the members of the RNC, and what's controversial in states across the country where RNC members say, hey, we haven't even held our primary or caucus. But now Trump says on True Social, I feel for the sake of party unity, that they should not go forward with this plan, but that I should do it the old fashioned way and finish the process off at the ballot box, all caps. But you know, the RNC had confirmed this on the record. We're gonna decide whether to send this resolution to be voted on by the 168 RNC members at our annual meeting next week. And Ronald McDaniel, who runs the place, basically sounded like she was on board. So Haley put out an email, Nikki Haley's campaign, saying Trump's establishment lackeys are pushing for a toothless resolution to deny millions of Republican voters from having a say in the presidential contest. So here's what I think. I don't know that this was going to fail or not. I think Trump, being a good politician, saw that it was controversial, saw that there was going to be a fight over this within the RNC and said, I don't need this. You know, Nikki Haley, how much longer is she going to be in the race? Through South Carolina? Even if that's true, you know, the next week or so, week to 10 days, is Super Tuesday. And I'm going to clobber in all these states and then it'll officially be over. And I also think it's better for him to win it at the ballot box than to be seen as so closely tied to the Republican establishment. Parts of which never really truly loved Donald Trump, but have had to bow to his wishes. Uh, you see all of these other governors and senators and House members who are on the fence now. Oh, yeah, I'm for Donald Trump. Interestingly, Axios goes with this lead. Something shocking and telling has unfolded beyond Donald Trump's uh, on stage, online, and courtroom theatrics. He's running a professional, well-managed, disciplined presidential campaign. His 2024 operation is more sophisticated, dare we say more traditional, than the slapdash improvisation of his White House and two previous runs. Obviously, Trump's going to wrap up the nomination in record time. If he were to win, he could reshape America and its government much more quickly and in more lasting ways than he did during his first term. And, of course, it says, well, you know, 
exit polls in New Hampshire showed some Republicans or many Republicans won't vote for him. If he's convicted, that's an open question because will there be a trial and a conviction before Election Day? But his hand is a hell of a lot stronger than most expected a year ago. Now, I can hear some of our listeners saying, disciplined, professional, look at the way Donald Trump just goes off, whether it's on video or at a rally or outside the courtrooms and just, you know, absolutely trashes uh, people. Look at the way he devoted almost his entire New Hampshire victory speech to attacking Nikki Haley. How can you say he's disciplined? But when it comes to the mechanics, um, money raised, um, great operatives in key states, quick decision-making and all that, I think it's true. You know, I talked the other day about Trump being entertaining, and that's true also. But... It is at the level at which it's like football, the, the three yards and a cloud of dust, not the quarterback throwing the bomb and hoping uh, his guy can catch it in the end zone. On that level, it is true. And the reason, going back to the earlier part of the segment, that it would be a big deal for RNC to say, OK, Donald Trump's the guy, is that then they can legally and officially pool their resources and RNC can raise money for the Trump campaign. Trump campaign can give some money to the RNC. So it's not just some symbolic thing, although it would have a great deal of symbolism. New York Times says Trump's a little surprised at this. Did you think it was going to be like this? He told an advisor. And they were joined by about a dozen Iowa campaign staffers when they went to New York on what they, everyone now calls Trump Force One. But listen to this. This is how you know Donald Trump is still the man you've come to know and either love or hate over the past seven years. Not everyone was invited after Iowa on the plane. Trump lost only one county, Johnson County, which is where the University of Iowa is. So it's probably a little bit more moderate to liberal area. And he lost by a single vote. Now get this. The regional political director who had overseen the county was not given a seat on the plane. I'm not done. The next morning, according to two sources in this Times piece, she was informed by a terse email that her contract with the campaign wasn't being renewed type of ruthlessness the Trump team had deployed in the prior 14 months. Win or else. Think about it. If two more people had voted for the former president in Johnson County, Iowa, this woman would still have her job. Lost by one vote in a, the one county that probably was going to be trouble for him. Off the plane, off the campaign. And, I, you know, uh, for her, I'm sure it was a severe disappointment. Oh, uh, this is kind of a TikTok, this Times piece. So let me get a few points in if I can before we go further. Um, in other words, it's a look at how he came to dominate the primary process. Uh, he changed the Republican Party. 
2016, Trump finished in fifth place among voters in Iowa who said he shares my values. 2024, 43% of Iowa Republican voters said Donald Trump shares my values. It's not that the values change. It's that this is the Trump Republican Party. Uh, we also have a quote from a top campaign advisor, Chris LaSavita, who says Nikki Haley spent millions of dollars on TV attacking Ron DeSantis, so we didn't have to. And here's the MAGA pollster, Tony Fabrizio. We decided early on that we would take the unorthodox step of defining DeSantis early, well before he entered the race, to undermine his electability argument and soften his numbers with Republicans. What we didn't expect was that the DeSantis team's hubris would allow our attacks to go unanswered. I don't know if it was hubris. I just think it was dumb. I mean, I wore out my voice saying on this podcast, saying on Media Buzz, writing in my columns that DeSantis was making a crucial mistake. Even when he wasn't in the race, you cannot be defined by a guy who is the strongest political figure in your party. You have to answer back. You have to punch back. By the time he started doing that, many months later, it was too late. He also made other, DeSantis also made other mistakes, but for example, okay, so when DeSantis, when Trump went on Meet the Press in September and said that DeSantis in Florida signing a six-week abortion ban was a terrible mistake, Trump may have been right on the politics of it, but they were stunned that DeSantis operation didn't seize on that remark and amplify it with an advertising blitz or whatever, and that allowed Trump to recover. Oh, listen to this. Private discussions, Trump had dangled the possibility of a Haley vice presidency for weeks. I don't know if that means with her people or just in general. He only said publicly that she was not cut from the proper timber days before New Hampshire voted, and that was after Haley said uh, the VP ship was off the table. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Number four. All right, well, I can't avoid talking about Donald Trump, but there's more ahead. He was back in Manhattan court in that second defamation trial involving E. Jean Carroll and wanted to testify. But it was kind of anticlimactic because... The judge was saying, I have to know in advance what you're going to say uh, because there's a lot of things you're not allowed to talk about. You've already been found liable for sexual assault of the writer E. Jean Carroll back in the 90s in the first trial. So you can't come up and argue that you're innocent. You can only talk about things that relate to damages because this is a damages trial. So... When Trump was questioned by his own lawyer, and by the way, closing arguments today in this trial, he was asked whether he ever instructed anyone to hurt E. Jean in his statements about her. No, I just wanted to defend myself, my family, and frankly, the presidency. Um, when Judge Lewis Kaplan said the jury would be told of the fact that the sexual assault was accepted, Trump muttered, unbelievable and shook his head. 
Various times he whispered or spoke to his lawyers, clearly upset. Former president saying he wasn't even at the first E. Jean Carroll trial, as if, well, I should get my chance now because I didn't bother to show up for the other one. So his lawyer, Alina Haba, asked very limited questions. The one I mentioned about, did you plan to hurt or have anybody have people hurt her? He Trump also denied E. Jean Carroll's allegation, calling it false. And some of this, the judge would just tell the jury, we're striking this. Don't do not pay any attention to that it's stricken from the record. Um Trump said, I don't know who the woman is. I never met this woman. But the judge, Kaplan said, I'm sorry, Mr. Trump, you're interrupting these proceedings by talking loudly while your attorney is talking, and that is not permitted. The judge said, looking into last year's verdict, and this is graphic, Trump, in fact, sexually abused Ms. Carroll by forcibly and without her consent inserting his fingers into her vagina. I share that with you because it happened in court, not because I want to dwell on the graphic details. And then finally, after that very brief period of time where Trump was allowed to say a few things and a few things were stricken, as he walked out of the courtroom, he muttered, but loudly enough for everyone to hear, this is not America, not America, this is not America. And that brings me to story number five. And this is... Also a graphic story. I don't go looking for these graphic stories, but this is the Wall Street Journal. And a pretty prominent guy, Vince McMahon, the founder of WWE. Wrestling Entertainment. In a lawsuit from a former employee, first reported by the Journal, McMahon was accused of sexual abuse and trafficking. Now, the former employee whose name is Janelle Grant, signed a non-disclosure agreement over these allegations in 2022. He agreed to pay her $3 million. But after the first installment of $1 million, the payments stopped. And that's why she is now suing McMahon and WWE. So according to the suit, she met McMahon in 2019 in an apartment building. She had an apartment there while he lived in the penthouse. No jokes, please. Grant revealed to McMahon that she was looking for a job after her parents had died. So he promised her a job at the WWE. Soon after, according to the lawsuit at least, meetings between the two eventually became sexual as he pressured her into various activities. By June, she was working as a administrator hyphen coordinator in the company's legal department. And Grant was subjected to even more harassment from McMahon. Again, this is her lawsuit. She alleges that he locked her in an office on multiple occasions to sexually assault her, and another WWE executive once joined them. All right, I'm just going to hold my nose and read this next sentence. The suit alleges that in 2020, McMahon defecated on her head during a threesome. Forgive me. But that's in the lawsuit. Grant also accuses McMahon of offering her to others in the company. And this is, you know, just where it gets unbelievably gross. Again, she claims, according to the lawsuit, he regularly showed explicit photos of her to executives and WWE talent 
So the wrestlers were included? In a screenshot included in the lawsuit, McMahon allegedly texted her that he told a group of people, she may scream and try to say no. And then there's a sexual reference to, even I'm not going to read this, it would be difficult for her to scream in a certain sexual act. McMahon allegedly told her, I'm the only one who owns you and controls who I want to F you. Now, to call these disturbing, despicable, and disgusting allegations just begins to suggest what was allegedly going on here. But it is an allegation in the lawsuit. However, um, he maintains his innocence. So the suit says that in 2021, wrestler Brock Lesnar was uh, involved because, allegedly, Vince McMahon told Janelle Grant to create personalized sexual content for an unnamed star in an effort to re-sign him. He was identified as a UFC fighter, and sources told the Wall Street Journal Lesnar it was Lesnar. After allegedly showing the content to the wrestler, McMahon told Grant that he likes what he sees. When a sexual encounter between Grant and the star fell through, McMahon allegedly offered to role-play, pulled her hair forcefully. There's other stuff in here that I'll just censor out. Lesnar requested that Grant send a video of herself urinating. Sorry, I'm just reading along here, folks. It's a Wall Street Journal story. uh, story. And to keep her quiet, he gave Janelle Grant additional gifts, again, according to the lawsuit, including $15,000 in Bloomingdale's gift cards and $20,000 for a surgery. Lesnar did not respond to the journal's request for comment. All right, I've gone a little long here. And, you know, I feel kind of queasy about this thing. Did it not involve a very prominent executive in the sporting world, a lawsuit by someone who is claiming, alleging sexual abuse and sexual trafficking? And was it not reported by such a reputable paper as the Wall Street Journal? Probably I would have held back. But if we can just go to wipe the slate clean now, I'm going to sign off by saying I really do appreciate this time. I say it all the time. And I'm probably going to still say it because it's true. I hope you'll have a chance to tune into Media Buzz on Fox, 11 Eastern on Sunday morning. And have a good weekend, everybody. See you Monday with more BuzzMeter. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts and via Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music. Put the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.